Wow. It's, it's just amazing to be here. Uh, the song service has been very edifying, just as Brother Eddie promised it would be. And uh, the prayer was good. Our fellowship is good. God is good. It's just everything about being together is wonderful. And I pray that our study of the Word together will be a blessing to you as well. I appreciate you being here, those who are visiting. Thank you very much on my own behalf, but certainly on behalf of the congregation. Your presence encourages the brothers and sisters here and the work that they're trying to do for the congregation, for these young people that are here for the week, for in every way you're encouraging them, and so thank you for that. We're continuing our series of studies on wisdom and wisdom for life. Tonight we're going to talk about the wise and the righteous. In our introductory studies on Sunday, we dealt with the idea of wisdom being the ethical expression of Christ. We talked about the rather remarkable comparisons that are drawn between wisdom personified as a woman in Proverbs chapter 8 and the character of Christ. And we think of Christ as being God's word manifest in the flesh. And so when we flip that back around and think about wisdom coming from God's word, think of wisdom as the ethical expression of Christ, his character identity. Last night we talked about the transforming power of wisdom. When we study uh, such books such as Proverbs obediently looking for things to do, looking for a practical application, how powerfully that transforms us, just like God's word and God's wisdom had transforming power at creation. It has transforming power in our hearts. And tonight as we talk about the wise and the righteous, we're looking at a person who has embraced the ethical character of Christ and therefore embraced Christ and we're seeing that person transformed to be more Christ-like. And so they are wise and they are righteous. And their righteousness is ultimately seated in Christ. But tonight's study is not a study of the book of Romans. It's a study of the book of Proverbs. So we'll focus more on the ethical aspect of our conduct that relates us to Christ. Even though when we think about embracing the character of Christ, we think about his righteousness being bestowed upon us, that's an important part of the discussion. And Proverbs deals with that only in uh, subtle hints, I might say. And that is information that we talked about in Sunday studies. But tonight we're looking at the ethical decisions and the ethical life that becomes that expression of that individual who is walking in the light of Christ. Now think about this. If wisdom is the ethical expression of Christ, and I embrace wisdom and walk in wisdom in that transformed way, then naturally, to whatever degree I walk in wisdom to that same degree then, I will show Christ to the world around me. And isn't that what we're called to do? To let our light shine so that when people see us, they glorify God because they see the Lord living in us. So that's a little bit about what our study is about tonight. Proverbs 15 and 21 says, Folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. 
A lot of times in Proverbs, the person of understanding or the idea of understanding is parallel with wisdom. So when we talk about a man of understanding, we're talking about a wise person. And what did he say about this wise person? He said they walk uprightly. They're righteous. So the person who is wise is also righteous. The person who is righteous then, in terms of their character conduct, is also wise. So this passage introduces us to the idea of these two being married together in one thought, the wise and the righteous. We studied in last night's study that wisdom is foundational, that it is the principal thing, and that therefore we should seek wisdom. (coughs) And wisdom being a principal thing means that it is something that is primary in in cause, it causes other things. And so wisdom becomes then foundational to cause character traits within us. And that's what we'll look at in this portion of our study. The book of Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 2 joins with other passages in Proverbs in connecting wisdom with the fear of God. He said, he who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. Well, he really sets up two opposite extremes here, doesn't he? On one extreme, you have a person who fears God. And on the other extreme, you have a person who despises God. Do you think that just because a person doesn't fear God, that that, that means necessarily they despise him? Well, don't be too quick to say, well, now, wait a minute. They may not actually despise God. (laughs) This passage is showing us how God sees it. What did Jesus say in his ministry? If you're not for me, you're against me. If you don't gather with me, you scatter abroad. People are uncomfortable sometimes with absolutes. But in the mind of God, there are certain true and right absolutes. And here we see a hint of that in the idea of somebody who does not fear God, then they're on the opposite end of the spectrum in some way. Because they don't fear God, they're not walking in respect of his judgment, and that means they've chosen to make themselves God's enemy. And then, at least to that degree, they are acting with a a despising towards God, even though they might not necessarily mean it that way or necessarily think about it in those terms. That's the net effect of what they're doing. But a wise person will instead fear the Lord. And how do they walk? They walk uprightly. They live that righteous life, and that's a reflection of someone who fears God. (coughs) Look your decisions in the mirror. Look at your overarching life choices and ask yourself, are are these things that I'm doing show that I respect God's judgment against sin? That's a good self-examination. With that heart of fearing God, we live our lives in a way that says, you know what, this is not about me, this is about God. The other day, my wife and I were visiting about some challenges that we were both facing, and we were talking about our our personal kind of trepidations or our fears about these things, and, you know, what happens if it goes wrong, or what happens if we don't do well, or whatever like that, things you face in your ordinarily daily life. And I said, you know what? It's really not about us. It's about God. And so we need to focus on reflecting the character attributes of God. We need to focus on reflecting the ethics to which he's called us and let him worry about who's a success or who's a failure. That's not easy to do because we want to make it about me. (laughs) 
I know we're not supposed to, you know we're not supposed to, but I'm talking about a natural yearning that we might have to have our ego gratified, and so we want to make it about me. A friend of mine, a brother in the Lord I had several years ago, he's passed on, he used to talk about a lot about destructive, self-destructive character, self-destructive character habits and choices, and he talked about ego driving those things, and his way of helping himself remember that is he referred to ego as edging God out, E-G-O, edging God out. That's what we do. And he was uh, a man who had destroyed much of his life and his family with giving himself over to addiction and sin. And when he finally awakened and came out of that and repented of that life, that was one of the things that was key for him is to, to sort of hold on to his spiritual sanity. It's to remember that, you know, when we let ego grow up inside us, what's going to happen is we're going to edge God out. And so in following up that, he would say, God is and I ain't. (laughs) And that was his uh, grammatically improper way to make it more memorable for him, I suppose, a grammatically improper way to really drive home the thought to himself, I've got to keep this focus that it's about God and it's not about me. And that's what we find from the wise heart in Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 8. Listen carefully to his instruction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, what follows trusting God? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You see how this passage marries the idea of fearing the Lord with departing from evil? You see how this passage puts that in contrast with somebody who's wise in their own eyes? Now, if you talk to guys here that are sort of my age or a little older or a little younger, you'll hear guys say, I wish I was smart as I used to think I was. And we feel that way. We really wish we were smart as we used to think we were. One of the things about being young that seems to be a fairly common characteristic of youth is having that enthusiastic feeling that you've got it all figured out. And hey, I applaud zeal for life and I applaud the desire to get out there and try what you know, but just understand, we cannot be wise in our own eyes. God is and I ain't. I don't have as much figured out as I feel like I've got figured out. And the older you get and the longer you live, especially if you're living and walking in wisdom, the more it's painfully driven home to you that you can't lean to your own understanding. Because things that seem so obviously, no, duh, this has got to be the way it is, it's not always that way. No matter how clear it might seem in our own human reasoning, we've got to back up and lean on what God instructs us to do. And so that is letting wisdom then become a foundation in the way we approach things rather than that foundation being some unstated sense that I have all the answers. And that means I've got to accept reproof. I've got to accept it when there is an idea that's different than the one I hold. I've got to accept it when someone comes to me and confronts me with that idea and suggests that my way of thinking or doing things is wrong. Let's read about that. In the book of Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8 and 9, he said, Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. 
This passage gives us a painful way to recognize folly in our hearts. If you get mad that someone had the audacity to contradict you, and you reread this passage and you think, you know what, the Lord might be labeling me here as a scoffer. Because that's what he said a scoffer does. If you welcome correction, what does he say that makes you? Well, that makes you wise. So if you want to be wise in the sight of God, when that person rebukes you, if they correct you, if they contradict you, if they offer a, a different way of looking at things and suggest you might need to change your thinking or your attitude or your conduct, then you've got to welcome that, not just grudgingly bear it, but welcome it enthusiastically. And that is a heart that will grow wiser. You see how that wisdom is foundational to growing more. Now, I know that's not easy. I, I, I know we all have the natural inclination to kind of bow up and get defensive if someone dares to, you know, to cross us and say, hey, I really think you've got a problem here. I understand that. And that's ego. Edging God out. We've got to be careful about that. Now, here's the deal. Someone might come and confront you about something and tell you that, that you're mistaken. And as it turns out, Maybe they're mistaken. Maybe they misunderstand you. Maybe you didn't make as big a mistake as they think you did. But it's not going to kill you to listen. It's not going to kill you to humbly and prayerfully and through a biblical lens consider what they're saying. It's not going to kill you to display the humility that says you really want to hear them out and you really want to understand what they're saying. And if you do all those things and it turns out you believe you've made the right decision, then okay, you've made the right decision. But you're showing that willingness to listen. And that's what wisdom does and that's how wisdom helps us to grow. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 31 and 32. He says, The ear that hears the rebuke of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. It's so simple. The person that grows, the person who has wisdom as a foundation that gives rise to these other characteristics that we talked about, that is able to receive the transformation that comes from wisdom, that is a person who will listen patiently and hear and heed godly rebuke. So, we see wisdom as foundational, and we see that that involves a fear of God and a focus on God. And what's then going to naturally follow that? Righteous values. And that's the next step that we find taught in the book of Proverbs. So let's think about righteous values. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Some of you might remember that verse. Uh, we talked recently about Jesus saying, the mouth speaks the abundance of the heart. Okay, so if you want to correct your words, if you want to correct your deeds, you start with correcting the mind. That's pretty simple. And that's what the Bible teaches us in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. In talking to people and listening to people talk about their struggles, I've noticed some things that tend to be common in people 
trying to do the right thing. You get upset at somebody or something that's happened, and you let yourself start daydreaming about it. And in the course of that daydreaming, you go through an unlimited number of imaginary arguments <laughs> with different people about the, and you run all these different scenarios. A lot of people do that. Well, and I'm not saying we don't need to think things through. We, we do. But what happens if we're not careful is trying to work through what our options are becomes imagining evil things, and before long, one of those imaginary arguments gets out of hand, and I might begin to think evil about that person. You might even begin to think violent thoughts about that person. You might think about lashing out. People, that, that sounds unbelievable that a Christian would do that, but people do that sometimes. Even people that mean to be better than that you start thinking those kind of bad thoughts and that's what's going to come out the tongue and that's what's going to be exercised on the end of your hands. Because what you think is what makes you. Your words are a product of what you think. So to, to have this wisely built character, you've got to focus on what your thoughts are and focus on keeping those thoughts good. And as you come to those different mental junctions where you're trying to make choices and, and imagine what might happen, make sure that you're steering your thoughts in a godly direction. And that involves, in addition to good thoughts, good intentions. Proverbs 11 and 23 says, The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. A righteous person desires good. They want to see good. And that's directing not only thinking about proper things, but thinking about proper things for the right reason. When you think about overhauling your thoughts or guarding your, your heart, think about guarding your intentions. Because a lot of people do things that as a standalone deed are good things, but they do them for all the wrong reasons. They might do them for attention, and they might do them to try to gain the upper hand in a relationship or to manipulate others. You know, a lot of good deeds are done out of the motive to just manipulate others. But the wise person, you see, will look beyond just the fact that there's something good happening here, and they'll search their heart to see that there are good intentions behind it. And what's the baseline good intention? It always has to do with glorifying God. Because it's not about me. It's about God. Go back to the beginning or earlier in our study, and that helps us to see that. So you direct your intentions towards the glory of God, and that leads us then to the avoidance of sin as part of this righteous character. Proverbs 14 and 16, A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. Self-confident. How much do we hear about the value of confidence? I, I'm not trying to say that, that, that confidence has no place, but it needs to be rooted in God. If you're going to go out to, to do a job and you need confidence to carry that out, then you place your confidence in the God-driven ethics that you exercise in the pursuit of that work. I'm confident in this because the precepts that I follow are things that are taught by God. Let me, let me try to illustrate it in a way that's, that's 
may be simple. I use the dropping of a pen sometimes to illustrate the law of God. God fathered the law of gravity. He made that law. I'm confident that when I let go of this pen, it will drop. I believe in that. And there it went. And I don't believe in that because I believe in these fingertips or because I believe in that pen or I believe in my amazing ability to let go. I believe in that because I believe God authored the law of gravity that makes that happen. Well, God also authored a lot of spiritual principles that are taught in the book of Proverbs that relate to the way we do things in life. And when we place our confidence in those God-authored principles, that allows us to have confidence that's rooted in God instead of self. And so we direct attention away from ourselves and towards God, and that leads us down to the thought process that says avoid sin. Avoid the things that displease God and place confidence in the things that he teaches us that would lead us away from sin. Look at the idea of seeking good, seeking the betterment of others. Proverbs 11 and 27, he who earnestly seeks good finds favor, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. Have you ever heard an older wiser say, you know, people tend to find what they're looking for? Stick around, you'll hear some of them say that. Somebody will talk about, you know, showing up at a group of people and, you know, well, I went in there and everybody was rude and nobody would talk to me and all that, so I left. And you find out later that's what they were expecting to find. And so that's what they found. Because they categorized all the information that they processed and everything that agreed with what they already expected, they remembered, and things that were different from those expectations, they tended to not notice as much. You have a way of finding what you're looking for. You ever hear someone say, be careful what you ask for, you might just get it? Some people say that about the prayer life. I want to tell you, tell you that about life. Trouble will come to the one that seeks evil. I want to tell you what, if you seek evil, you'll succeed in finding it. But when you do, you won't want to call it success. Because <laughs> that's not how you want life to be. Evil has an indescribably destructive power. And it destroys everything it touches and everything around it. And you don't want to succeed in finding that. But that's exactly what you'll find if you go seek it. So to have that wise heart, those righteous ethics, you've got to look for the things that are good and seek the good. That's all a part of that mental overhaul. That's all a part of adapting the mind of Christ that empties self. What did he do? He emptied himself when he came from heaven to earth. Philippians 2 teaches us that. So we seek to duplicate that and display that Christ-like character in our lives when we try to empty ourselves and focus on God. And lo and behold, that's wisdom. And that's why the wise and the righteous embracing the character of Christ then becomes more Christ-like and is righteous through him. So those righteous values then, the good thoughts, the good intentions, the good deeds, all of that brings about this reshaped character that we talked about last night. The reshaped, transformed character. And that reshaped character includes integrity. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy him. 
Always show integrity. Always be honest. Even if it's to your own hurt, have integrity. And I will tell you, people will see it in you. And they may think it's laughably naive, or they may think it's quaint, or they may think it's wonderful. But whatever they think about it when they see it in you, the Lord will know it's a reflection of his character ethics. It's showing a reflection of Christ to the world around you. Part of that reshaped character is controlling the tongue. Look how wisdom leads us to do that. Proverbs 10 and 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. You know, sometimes you just have to hush. Emotions are boiling up inside us, and emotions are outrunning our ability to filter and sort through our words. And so with that onrushing emotion, pushing words out that are not wisely weighed and thought through, sometimes you just got to hush and let the emotions die down a little bit and give yourself time to meditate about biblical values and godly values that would reshape the way you say things. Who couldn't use more help in controlling and guiding the tongue? Look at Proverbs 15 and 28. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Years ago, my wife and I were verbally sorting through a, a difficult situation that annoyed her rather uh, profoundly. And um, she m made a few statements to me about some things, and I did what guys are really good at. My mind just drifted off. And before long, I forgot that we were even talking, and I'm just in la-la land. And I finally got one of these, well, are you going to respond? And I'll I pull this verse out. <laughs> well, the righteous studies to answer, dear. I was having to think about that. Don't misuse it, fellas, okay? We think it's funny, but she won't, so don't misuse it. But think before you speak. Think before you answer. Really, really think because words can be sharp arrows. Words can really, really hurt. And so think about how wisdom will guide a person to control the tongue. You first, you, you just learn to hush. And then second, you think about what you're going to say. Don't, not to sharpen the words and make them hurt more. But you think through the channels of, of the godly character uh, passages that we read a, a few slides in the few recent slides. Another reshaped character attribute is diligence. Proverbs 10 and 5, he who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. You go and you listen to parents, you know, talk about their kids and how proud they are of their kids or how happy they are with their kids. It's really neat to hear somebody that gets to talk about how their kid worked really hard for a long time and reaped all these benefits of of measured success because of their hard labors and you know that's the kind of thing you'll find taught a lot in Proverbs and it's kind of tough to hear someone trying to you know brag about a kid who's quit at everything they started and never really finished and never really followed through and never really achieved anything you think about what a disgrace that causes that disgrace is not a reflection of the character of Christ diligence is a reflection of the character of Christ. I heard stories about y'all working really hard today, and Brother Jeremy said y'all got more work done than what was expected. That's diligence. That's awesome. 
That's a reflection of the character of Christ. That's diligence not only just in your part, but in the part of the adults that are leading you and guiding you through that. Remember to thank them for that. Because they're showing you a way you can reflect the character of Christ to the world around you. And it's in part done through diligent labor. And what does all this do? What, is, what happens with this reshaped character? It builds a reputation. The Bible says in Proverbs 14 and 35, the king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. Well, we don't have a monarchy today, so we're not necessarily trying to impress the king, are we? But there are people in life that it will benefit you to have their favor, or to have them favorably view you. And that favor is reserved for that wise servant, for the person who conducts themselves in accordance with these ethics. That's the one that those people in positions of authority and leadership who are in a position to help you out, that's the one that will be favored by those people. <clears throat> Have you ever heard someone say, it's not what you know, it's who you know? A lot of times they'll talk about that in pursuit of a job or career success or admission into some challenging program that's hard to get into or whatever. And I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that play out, not only in mine and my wife's adult experiences, but watching our children and in watching people around us, we just see it over and over and over some of you know my wife was recently, she's retiring from the teaching profession. She's changing careers. She went hunting for another job. I'll tell you what happened. In the pursuit of that job, she knew somebody. Now, she applied for dozens and dozens and dozens of jobs, and she got a few interviews, but the one where success was found was where she knew somebody. And it was a company of a lot of people where my older brother had formerly worked. And here's what happened. She went out there, or she talked to him at first over the phone, and they had made the connection between her and my older brother. And they said, you're his sister-in-law, right? Yep. A little bit later, a few days later, we knew another young man that got a job out there. He went to church uh, with our friends, and, and we knew him, had known him for a while. And he said, you know, when I interviewed... They said that, you know, the other day we interviewed Mike Minson's sister-in-law for that job. He was diligent. He was a hard worker, ridiculously so. Can't keep up with him. And that spread over and carried over to what her former employers had said about her and what was revealed in her interview. And what it boiled down to was the people who had the power to make the decisions bestowed favor based on somebody else walking wise. Now, the point of that is not to just say something nice about my wife or something nice about my brother. They've, they've got to stand or fall on their own. The point of that is you're going to need that in life if you're going to succeed. You're going to need at some point to know somebody. And it might be someone where you're trying to get a job or it might be some banker where you're trying to get a loan or it might be, you know, something else totally different. But you're going to need somebody to know your reputation. And I'm just going to tell you, you've got a reputation right now. Amen. You might think, well, but I'm only 10 or I'm only 12 or I'm only 80. <laughs> Whatever your age, you've got a reputation. 
It may be good, it may be bad, it may be somewhere up and down the dial in the middle, but you've got one. And it's seated in some way about the level of wisdom with which you make your choices in life. And if you want to set the stage to be able to advance and garner the favor of the guy in that, or the gal in that kingly type position, someone who has authority, conduct yourself with wisdom. And that reshaped character then will have a ripple effect. That integrity, the diligence, the values, that will have a ripple effect. It will affect your reputation. It will affect how you're seen. It will affect not only you, but others around you. Look in Proverbs 10, verse 11 and 12, or excuse me, verse 10 and 11. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is jubilation. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. What does the city do? Remember, this is a, genu a general axiom. What does the city do when the good guy wins? Everybody likes that. And everybody cheers. Think about this in the arena of athletics. There is no short supply of punks in athletic competition. And when the punk makes the great play and is very successful, there are some people that will enjoy that, but a lot of people kind of roll their eyes. But you let the one that's known as the nice person or the nice student or whatever like that, the one that's done a lot of good and tries to keep their nose clean, you let that person be successful in the athletic arena and even the opponent will kind of respect them and like to see them do well. I'll tell you, I, I enjoy following college football. I'm originally from Oklahoma, so I enjoy following the Oklahoma Sooners. There's a couple of teams that are rivals to us. One of them is Texas. One of them is Oklahoma State. I'll tell you what, one of the greatest football players to ever play for Texas was Earl Campbell. And I promise you, if he walked out on the field on game day at Owen Field, he'd get a standing ovation. And that's because of his reputation. One of the best players to ever play for Oklahoma State was a guy named Barry Sanders. And I believe, I may be wrong, but I believe if he was introduced and walked out, I believe he would get applause as well. Maybe not a standing ovation, but he'd get an applause. People like to see the good guy win, even when he's for the other fella. That's just how it works. And so you build that kind of character, you can become more of that kind of guy that has a better chance of having that kind of effect on the community around you. Proverbs 29 and 2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. You look at the things, those of you who are members of this congregation or if you're acquainted with the work this congregation does, you think of the community service-oriented things this congregation does from time to time. Look at the things on your schedule this week and think about it. And you will find in there efforts to reflect the wise and righteous character to the world around and to garner favor in the sight of the community. And that is a godly pursuit because <clears throat> it's not about us, it's about God. It's not about someone clapping for me because ego is edging God out and I'm not going to be that way. Instead, God is and I ain't. So we do these things to draw attention to God and give him the glory and push and hope for that ripple effect. <clears throat> and this exalts a nation. This makes a place a better place. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 14 in verse 34 
You see how that ripple effect can compound and people walking in wisdom affecting others around them and before long, it can elevate an entire society. If we get enough momentum to do that, it can make a place a better place. So bring this down to its logical conclusion. Consider what he said in excuse me, Ecclesiastes 8, verse 12 and 13. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow because he does not fear before God. Successes and failures in life are subject to some randomness because we're in a sin-broken world, and sometimes we can do the best we can do, and success doesn't come in a physical way that we would want. And those injustices happen because sin has broken this world. But the precepts we're talking about now are not about you getting the answer from your banker that you want or you getting the job that you want. Those are manifestations of the kind of success that wisdom can bring in a material world, but what it's really about is the absolute unqualified guarantee of success in the spiritual realm. And so while you're looking for these things and making the wise and the righteous choices, hoping for godly success, understand that the real success is about eternity. And the one who fears God, and that's that foundational wisdom point that we talked about, that person, he says, it will be well with them in the final analysis. So understand that while you conduct yourself with wisdom, whatever success comes your way in this life, thank God for that and use it for his glory. But recognize the ultimate goal is the eternal goal. And that's what it's really about, is getting to go and be with God. And you won't if you're not a faithful child of his. So I want to close this study this evening by giving you an invitation to become his faithful child if you've never obeyed the gospel. Or if you have obeyed the gospel but you have betrayed your relationship with the Lord and you want the church to pray for you, to assist you, let us help you. If we can help you in becoming a Christian or if we can help you with our prayers, please come while we stand and sing.